A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 179 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast alleged, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like Vader's hate on for the rebel pilot who blew up the Death Star, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Haters gonna hate. 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 Yeah. Uh, hello. Hello. Speaking of hate... Boy, this has been a fun week on the internet, hasn't it? It's been, uh, yeah, it's been a pretty charged, uh, almost two weeks now, huh? <laughs> yes, yes, it has. I have, um, um, it's been interesting in the Butler household. Uh, Jody has managed to get an ear infection that caused her eardrum to burst. Ouch. So, in her case, it's not hearing a lot. Uh, in my case, it's choosing what I hear. I finally got to a point this week, uh, I'm a big... You know, I'm, I'm the big government slash social studies slash history geek. I teach it for a living. I find the nuances interesting. And I finally this week decided, you know what? I'm done on social media posting anything relating to that anymore. I'm done. I'm not going to reply to people who post things about political topics and stuff. I'm done. I love the discussion of getting into, like, the nuances of this and that. Like, um, you take... The recent ruling about uh, the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, whatever you want to call it, right? The law itself is written to say you only get subsidies if you have a state health exchange, not a federal one. Because the purpose, according to the people who wrote the law, was so that if you do it only uh, to give subsidies to people who go through state exchanges, not a federal one, it forces the states to create them. federal government doesn't have to deal with it. And it makes sure the states actually are doing what the law is trying to get them to do in the first place. It's an incentive to get them to do it, except then a bunch of states didn't set them up. People freak out because it means that if you go through the federal exchange in many states, you don't get the money. Government comes in and just says, um, we're not actually going to change the law the legal way through Congress. We're just going to say <laughs> it just means something different than the law actually says. If you're If you're going through the federal exchange, you can have the money. And it goes all the way to the Supreme Court because that doesn't make legal sense in our system. And we get a ruling down that basically says because the law would cause a lot of chaos if it were to collapse, we're just going to say that's what the law says even though it's not in there and it's completely opposite of what they said. And that information comes from the chief justice. And that, you know, you can argue the ruling one way or another, but that comes through the chief justice. And then later in the week, there's the ruling on gay marriage where the chief justice comes out and says, well, I don't agree with this ruling because you're just making stuff up as you go along and inserting into the law, which is exactly what he did on the other ruling. It's, it's this bizarre cacophony of, of nuanced bizarreness in this last couple of weeks. But you can't talk about the nuances. You can't talk about how 
interesting it is now that we have federal protections saying that it is unconstitutional to uh, discriminate when it comes to gay marriage, just like there was a court case that said you can't discriminate on uh, interracial marriages. Just like before that, there was one about uh, black people being able to marry each other. All of those are constitutionally protected. What is not a constitutional right? Marriage in general. Because it hasn't been challenged in court and it's not in the Constitution. So we have constitutional protections about discrimination that don't necessarily apply to things that are constitutional rights. And yet people are out there like, dang it, having clean water and education, these are constitutional rights. And it's just, I get to a point where I care enough about this stuff and I'm interested in discussing this stuff in an intellectually honest way that's going to get at the nuances. Because I tend to be someone who kind of craps on both sides of the political spectrum. I tend to be fairly libertarian, so I agree with liberals on some things and conservatives on others. Um, but there's a hell of a lot of ignorance out there. And I'm not talking about, like, regular ignorance like, oh, I didn't know that. I'm talking, like, aggressive ignorance. Like, <laughs> I don't know, and I don't want to know, and I'm going to force my not knowing on you. It's, it's the political discussion and social media thing where everybody wants to comment on things but don't actually care about knowing what the hell they're talking about. It's a lot like the Star Wars concept of personal canon, in a way. Um... And I just, I got to the point where I'm so frustrated and it's, it, there are people, most of the people that I know through Facebook are either from high school, from college, or they're people I know from the Star Wars community. And the Star Wars community is incredibly diverse. It's something I'm going to be including actually in the last of those C-Court articles I'm writing right now. We are incredibly diverse. It brings people together you would never expect to necessarily have a lot to do with each other and makes them fast friends. Mm -hmm. Lovely and all. But there are people who are friends of mine on Facebook, thanks to Star Wars, who either are or are surrounded by some incredibly ignorant people when it comes to being able to talk about the major issues of the day. I mean, these are the same people um, who one of them actually said, you need to be careful it's that as angry as people get over court rulings on either side, be careful that you don't try to take it out on the president because you know if the president dies, you know who becomes president? The first lady. What? <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um, so yeah so I kind of got to the point where I realized that between that and some of the people commenting when I comment on other people's things um, I've got to stop or I am going to just tell people to screw off and be done with them because the people surrounding them or because of not their political views I love hearing many different political views I love seeing that gelling of political views coming together and seeing where we go from here on different issues but damn, please make your political views based on reality. The, the, if you're out there making the argument that that clean water, clean drinking water, is a human right that is protected by the U.S. Constitution, you're wrong. It's not. Well, philosophically, it should. Should uh, We can talk should all day. <laughs> but there's real and there's imaginary. For sake. And yes. Mark's going to have to censor that. So, yes, yeah, so it's interesting. I, I find myself missing the conversation, but at the same time, I'm so much more of a happier person to be able to sit back and watch the train wrecks rather than being in the train wrecks. Um, so if you are a friend on Facebook and it seems like I'm dropping off on the political stuff, that's kind of why, but it also means that you're probably going to get much more sci-fi discussion because it'll be mostly that when it used to be mostly that and politics and historical things. I'm just... I don't know. I feel like I'm in the twilight zone sometimes when I go on social media now. I, and, and I wonder if this is how 
on some of those less civil Star Wars forums, if this is how people felt going into the 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 canon legends change. Uh, or in the, any kind of continuity discussion when they hadn't taken the time to research like the you know T level G level back in the day where it was just a complete freaking free for all. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I just it's I guess some someone out there is just gonna say, well yeah, welcome to the internet, duh. But whoo, it's been a week. Man, I've been watching some. I've watching relatives troll each other and stuff over this stuff, and I'm just like. Yes! I'm learning all sorts of things that I didn't know. Like, I'm like, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, well, when I think of the Confederate flag, for example, I think Duke's a hazard. That's that's the only association I've had my whole life with it, you know? So I don't live in place like where you guys are at, where, where that's something more common that you see and stuff like that. So I've learned quite a few things about when it's okay to hang that flag or what that flag's supposed to be and what that flag represents. And yeah, it's been interesting just to watch, but then to watch the comment sections and then the little threads on that, like you'll see a page with with one post, and it'll say like four comments. And then you go in to read those four comments, and each one's got like 108 comments off of it. You're like, whoa! It's like it's like this week is it, in American culture. This week has and and understand that I'm also seeing comments from people outside the United States commenting on American political stuff and bashing the crap out of American political stuff. In ways that don't actually make sense. Why didn't the president just go in and change the law? Because he can't! Foreign person commenting and bashing the American system, basically saying, Hey, by the way, I don't actually understand your system, but I'm going to comment on it. Wonderful. But no, it's like this week has become like the bigotry detector, right? Like, what is everyone's different view on certain things? And what do people, not so much who is bigoted as... What do people call bigoted these days? It's like, you know, you disagree with the president, therefore you are racist kind of stuff. Or you don't want to vote for Hillary Clinton because you are sexist, which is the same crap they were pulling with Sarah Palin, right? You didn't want to vote for Sarah Palin because you're sexist. Well, maybe you just didn't think Sarah Palin would have been a good vice president. Um, It's just, it's interesting how things blow up. And oddly enough, I've seen it staying relatively civil throughout my feeds. Um, probably because I've started to unfollow and yet still be friends with the people who I know are just going to be spouting random BS. Um, but it's, it's been an interesting social experiment, if nothing else, to watch how things have developed. And I just, I wonder, to make, you know, the relevance here to Star Wars and all, of course, I wonder to what degree, you know, I mean, there are plenty of people out there, I'm sure, who are watching this who just don't care. I mean, they're disconnected from politics. They don't care either way about gay marriage, they don't care either way about the ACA or Obamacare ruling, they just, they're detached from it and just kind of watching the spectacle as a train wreck, and I'm sitting back thinking, God, I mean, to some degree, this must have been what we looked like at the time of the Legends canon announcement, right? Oh, yeah. Where people who are detached are looking at it going, what are you going nuts over? What is wrong with you? And you're like, why can't you see that this is important? This is, this is, the, the sky is falling over here. I mean, certainly it's not nearly as big an issue. Of course, this is an entertainment thing and not a political thing, not a, a life-changing, you know, court ruling decision type thing. It's just, it's, it's been interesting. But suffice to say, uh, I have sort of altered my sphere when it comes to that. So if it, you're, you're someone who knows me through the show and we talk a lot on Facebook or we pop up from time to time on Facebook commenting on each other's posts. If it's a political thing, that's why you're not getting my thoughts. You are welcome to message me and ask my thoughts, but I'm done. 
with that stuff. Um, <laughs> with with the following two comments, however, one, I find it interesting how many times this week from both conser- fans that I know to be conservative and liberal, both have come out with with posts that basically say, "My lord, is that legal?" I will make it legal. I thought that was pretty impressive that everybody was going to the same well of Star Wars quotes. Um, and I also found it interesting um, that somebody did bring up the, when they were talking about the Confederate flag issue, somebody did pull up the, well, would Mon Mothma have allowed people to still fly Imperial flags? <laughs> to which someone else countered, and would Palpatine have still allowed people to fly separatist flags? I think we know what Palpatine's answer would have been. It would have been <laughs> force lightning. But it, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, I don't remember it ever being really addressed in the Legends continuity to what degree the New Republic and the Galactic Alliance and such specifically frowned upon presentations of old Imperial flags and whatnot. Um, or whether they considered that free speech. We see that in some of the early stuff like the X-Wing comics, but you don't necessarily see it too much afterwards. And to what degree, in a sense, that might play into this development of the First Order for The Force Awakens, because they seem to have a lot of Imperial imagery. Well, was there a, a movement to suppress that, and now it's rising back up, almost like Germany suppressing the Nazi movement, and then the neo-Nazis coming out of it? Or is this, you know, is it developing in some other way? It's... It's made for, like I said, it's made for a fascinating week. We are geeks, uh, and I am a political geek also, so this has been a a really overwhelming week, almost, in terms of craziness. But I guess we digress heavily. I should shut up. We probably have just created a lot of fodder for feedback episode stuff, um, and we should probably get into our topic. Well, I mean, it isn't too far off topic, because at the end of the day, especially with the prequel trilogy, Star Wars was political. I mean, even in New Hope, we talked about the Senate being dissolved and things like that. And, you know, Star Wars has shown us one thing, that there can be some really fun stories told set in a political background where that's the the, the main scheming is going on. Um, You know, and I, I think that that. You know, what's going on in our lives right now and, and on other people's lives on the Internet and stuff, it just opens our minds and keeps us thinking about things. And I think that that's the fun thing about Star Wars in general that we get a kick out of. So that's true. with that, that's true. Although we should we do have to be careful. I did discover this week we did have to be you do have to be a little bit careful because um, we had just talked. We haven't even released the episode yet as, as the, the time we're recording this. We had just done our episode on Lords of the Sith and talked about the LGBT aspect where you have Delian Moores, who uh, is a lesbian character. And I asked on my timeline page, just given the the ruling this week as we're recording this on gay marriage in the United States being constitutional, that it cannot be blocked throughout all 50 states, et cetera, and the District of Columbia, um, that does that alter anyone's perception on the LGBT angle to that story? And I said it pretty much just that way, the angle to the story, meaning the element, the aspect, the piece, the discussion topic on that story. And what did I get? I don't think it was an angle at all. Like, oh, for the love of God. <laughs> I'm going to have to break up my thesaurus next time I ask any kind of politically oriented Star Wars question. Because I was curious, did it change anybody's perception when reading Lords of the Sith on the inclusion of that character? But I didn't get a whole lot of answers beyond A, didn't make much of a difference, or B, I can't believe you used the word angle. Thank God I didn't say Vertex. <laughs> what are you, fishing? 
Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we turn our focus back once again to the new canon world of Star Wars, with Marvel Comics Star Wars, issues 1 through 6, entitled Skywalker Strikes. This week, we hit our spoiler-free review in the state of Marvel Star Wars in issues 1 through 3. Next episode, we'll run down... 4 through 6, as well as the covers, well, some of them at any rate. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you a quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. That's right. See, they had no idea what we were going to be talking about until you said that. They just thought we were going to be talking politics the whole time. Um, this is an interesting one. This is the very first new series coming out from Marvel Comics. It is only the second comic series to exist within Story Group canon. Of course, Son of Dathomir does carry over. It was part of the Clone Wars in the way that they looked at it. But this is the first from Marvel. The first to really kind of see if this whole Welcome Home campaign really did wind up bearing good fruit. And it it's an odd one. Uh, there are elements of this story that I look at and I go, oh, that is so cool. There are also elements of the story, though, which, by the way, takes place uh, shortly after Heir to the Jedi in terms of chrono chronological placing and, and is parallel with Vader after Princess Leia. There are elements of this story that feel great and exciting and other parts that I'm just like, it's just another generic rebel mission. Haven't we seen this over and over again? And I think that that's something Marvel's going to run into for a while. Because we have so many stories set in this era in the Legends continuity that they're going to have to really do things to distinguish themselves in their storytelling to make it feel fresh, to make it feel new. And many of the beats in this particular arc that felt really cool, it's not so much that they were doing something new as they were giving us a canonical version of something we've seen plenty of times before. Um... For instance, we talk about how in the Legends continuity there are certain story beats that over and over again it seems like writers wanted to hit even if somebody else already did it. Like, where do the Death Star plans get discovered and stuff like that? Well, this story hits the Luke's first return to Tatooine beat. Uh, it hits the how does Vader learn the name of Luke Skywalker beat. And it hits the first encounter between Luke and Vader beat all here within this one arc. And they acknowledge that when they're in the le the letters pages talking about how there are certain story beats that need to be included and they wanted to do it in their way and there, here's this new canon for them to give the official, supposedly true way of how it worked until the saga's rebooted 20, 30, 40 years from now again. But it makes it an odd beast, right? Because we have to unlearn what we have learned and at the same time, ex we're looking for something exciting that's exciting in a way that is both because, hey, that's how it really was, and, hey, that's something actually new. And I think this story, without Darth Vader interweaving with it, it's an okay story. It's good. It's not great. You interweave Vader into it, and it turns into something much better, because Vader, I think, is a stronger series uh, out of these. As for Marvel as a whole, I would say they're doing fairly well right now. Again, Vader and this have interwoven in a really good way that made for some cool storytelling. And I'm curious to see where they go with both of them. The Princess Leia series so far for me has been a dud. Uh, it hasn't been all that interesting and the artwork hasn't been all that great. So there's not really anything drawing me into the Princess Leia series. For a series that's going to be focused on Leia, uh, it manages to do that and to give her a lot of action on her own. But 
it doesn't seem to hold a candle, in my opinion, storytelling-wise, action-wise, concept-wise, to what we're getting with the other ones. And Kane and the Last Padawan, again, it's a cool series, but I have to step back and say, would I care about this story if it was anyone other than Kanan? Do I care about it because it's his backstory, or do I care about it because it's a good story? And to be honest, it feels kind of like a generic Star Wars story that could have been found anywhere, but we care because it's Kanan, because it's insights into him as the character. So I kind of feel like Marvel at this point is still in... They're obviously still in the early stages, and it feels like it. It feels like in some cases they're almost trying too hard to hit those familiar story beats too quickly. They're telling good stories for the most part, but they've yet to do anything that really has a huge wow factor, at least for whole series, where that wow factor would make someone get drawn in and say, this is what I want to read if I've been someone who's read the Legend stuff before. I've yet to see anything that Marvel has done that I think is probably going to wind up changing the minds of those who said, I'm not reading any of the new stuff because I prefer Legends. I don't think there's anything with this that's going to draw them in and make them say, yes, I want to read it now. Unlike something like Rebels, that really does have that wow factor that draws people in. Marvels, they're on their way. They're just not quite there yet, despite their sales numbers. Yeah, I think like with Kanan, there's a unique angle because the Clone Wars fans... No, it's not an angle. How dare you say angle? (laughs) I can't help it. I'm an angler. I I, I think for the, the Clone Wars fans, you know, they're able to see it pick up from kind of where they were leaving off, you know, order 66, right moments before it kind of launches and stuff for the rest of the people though, you know, you nailed it when you said, because it's Kanan, um, it could be any other character. And I think it'd feel kind of more like how dark times was. We're like, Oh, well this could be anybody, but I think Marvel's doing something right with Kanan in the aspect of it's a character that we want to know more about. And they're taking this as the Avenue to really flesh out his backstory. I kind of actually would like to see a, a Hera story that does similar, uh, that brings them both to the point where they're at in a uh, new dawn, uh, and then drop, you know, then you could drop that series and then pick it up, you know, years later, some point after rebels or something. Uh, but yeah, Marvel's in a, a very unique position with this. Uh, I, I, I always did think the whole, you know, welcome home kind of thing was a little, I don't know, too soon. Dis- maybe. Disingenuous at best. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, so there was that angle, but, but most of us kind of did see it coming. So it was the question of, you know, how are they going to handle this? And as a huge Spider-Man fan, I've been both excited and trepidatious for it because on one hand, you know, most of my favorite stuff comes from Marvel, but at the same time, there's a lot of scratching my head going, well, where did the story go? Uh, you know, where, where they're doing like a story in amazing Spider-Man and it's going like amazing Spider-Man, you know, six, 45, 646, and then all of a sudden you get into 647, and five issues of the story were told in another story in another line. And if you weren't paying attention, you missed it. Uh, if you didn't have your comic store pull that line and they don't order many of that line, say they only order three, and the three people that normally get it got those copies. Well, if it's not popular enough for a reprint, well, you just missed the boat. You know, I mean, so so there was that angle that really had me worried. Uh, and so I started going trade paperbacks. Uh, with these, this is the first time I'm not getting all the Marvel comics in single issues. Uh, you know, my Star Wars stuff is not singles this time. I'm doing the Canon collection and I'm doing them all in trade paperbacks. So I've been getting the digital versions from you, Nate, with your extras. And so it's been a, a unique experience just reading it in the digital format. I, I definitely feel less connected to it uh, when I was reading through it. Um, you know, you were mentioning how, you know, this story 
it, it's better served with the Vader one to complement it. On that, I agree 100%. It, it definitely makes it feel like this is a must-read story for right now. And I think the must-read angle is for the new fans. Uh, you know, and it, you, you really hit on it with the, the older fans having to, to disengage what we know, the unlearned that we've learned. I look at it like when I worked at Kodak for 10 years. Uh, you know, in the eighth year of working at Kodak, they were changing a lot of policies and going back on a lot of things. And it was really hard for the people that had been there five to 10 years already. And they were like, and why are we doing this? They were really fighting the change and the new employees were coming in. They had no clue about what was there before. So they were all like, yeah, this rocks. And it wasn't until the older employees were like, well, yeah, but we had this set up before where it was really cool. And this was what we had. And the old employees had to explain them how what came before was better. And then they were like, well, this kind of sucks. But up until that moment, you know, when they had the wool pulled off their eyes, they were really digging that stuff. And that's how I'm feeling the new canon aspect is. I mean, it's like if you're coming to this new, you're going to get a lot out of this. Those little points that they're really hitting. I think it's cool that they put so many in this one story. Get those out of the way. Because I think a a big complaint for the EU fans is that we toss all this history to the side. And there's nothing there to replace it. And a lot of people are feeling like, well, are are we going to build something? Are they trying to start fleshing it out. And I think to a degree by separating out these comic series as they have, you know, in the different little eras and stuff added to the, what they're doing with the books and stuff, they're really starting to flesh it out faster than what I would have given them credit for originally. Uh, and so I think that that's an angle that plays into all this as well. Uh, I do like the art. I think that they've really hit it out of the park with all the series with the art. Leia is probably, I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. It's the one that I'm the least interested in as of right now, but I'm still waiting for like that, the hook kind of thing. Like the art's okay. Uh, it's probably, well, they got one issue left to hook you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, so let's, let's see what we can do there. But when I think of the art of the other series, um, you know, the, the space scenes and stuff on Vader and in this Star Wars one are, are phenomenal. Kanan, for me, by far, that's my favorite art all the way around. I love everything that they've done with that series. The colors, the looks of them all, they're, they're really crisp. Uh, but but this one, too, has that same effect. Um, Vader looks really good. Uh, Boba Fett looks really nice when he shows up. And the characters look like themselves. I, I keep constantly thinking back of Brian Wood's Star Wars Volume 2 and the potential it could have been for this run and i think you know had this been star wars volume two it might have gotten picked apart for all those little things that they've gone back on but at the same time the characters look like themselves and i feel like they're not trying to retread new ground in totally new ways they're just trying to show you the version of it which i think the irritation part came before was we get told well this is the version and then a few months later we'd get well this is the version and then a few more months later no well this is actually the version And as long as we're in a world now where this canon stays solid and firm, and this is the last time we're going to see Vader find the name Skywalker, I'm totally cool with this being the final version. I mean, this is a really fun story. And in that regard, I was very happy. Uh, You know, it's for you listeners that this is your first time in there. Definitely go out and get that Darth Vader. Read that in addition to this. You will get a lot more out of this story. Um, you know, I, I, I haven't read, I haven't sat down on my second reread of Vader. I just remember the flip through stuff that I read while I was in the comic store. But what I remember seeing from that and how it ties into each one of these was, was enough for me to remember that bit to add to the, it's like the little icing on the top with the little, you know, they're putting little figurines up there made out of fondant and stuff, man. It's like, look at this cake. It is great. It is all canon, baby. I, I hate it when someone tells you that something is a virgin and then it turns out, nope, it's not a virgin. It needs, oh, wait, wait, sorry, we're not talking about those uh, human sacrifices anymore. <clears throat> um, 
I, I do agree with you on the artwork here. I think, again, if you turn your brain off on legend stuff and you accept this for what it is, it is some early stories in this new continuity, you're going to find some cool moments. You're going to find a fun ride. Um, you're just not necessarily going to find something that so far is going to be so amazing that it's going to necessarily change a lot of minds uh, about you know previous continuity and whatnot. But again, this is not going to be criticized for the same things that Brian Wood's Star Wars did. You know, Things that changed, in that case, it's all supposed to be part of one continuity. What the hell are they doing? Here, oh, it's changed. That must be the new way they want to approach it for this new continuity. So it's got, in a sense, great opportunity there. And at the same time, sort of a pass on a lot of the criticisms that it would have gotten if this was part of some previously existing continuity. This really doesn't have a lot that it needs to mesh with just yet. And what they are doing with the Marvel series here in meshing them together, I do think works very well. I almost wish that they did something like this. I don't even know if they still do this. Back when I was big into DC Comics, aside from the Injustice alternate reality stuff, uh, I was reading Nightfall when Batman got his back broken. And the death of Superman. And they did this cool thing where even though they were different series interweaving with each other, they would always have a number on them to let you know where they fell within that year's storyline. So you could follow the numbers of the issues of that series or follow the little Superman symbols and those numbers. And that would tell you, okay, which issue am I reading now of Adventures of Superman versus Superman versus Man of Steel, etc., etc. That would eventually get you through the whole story in the right order. Uh, Oh, that's brilliant on another level, too, because... As a Marvel fan, I'm always like, well, how do I line them up? Do I keep all my amazing Spider-Mans together and then all my superior Spider-Mans? And then I get to Spider-Island and we've got stuff from Spider-Woman brought in and stuff from over here. And it's like, that's when I have a problem or or I'm following all new X-Men and Guardians of the Galaxy. But then for 12 issues, they're both together. Yeah, like, uh, where do I put it? That's a brilliant way. You put it all in that year, right? Rank it like that, and there you go. Just go to town. Read that sucker up. That's great. I, Marvel should actually think about doing something like that with the Star Wars run. Yeah, it was a fantastic way of doing it, and it worked very, very well for it. Uh, another thing that works very well for this series is, as Mark mentioned, the artwork. Right, John Cassidy does a great job of capturing the film characters here, and there's a lot done in this first issue to try to emulate the film feel, to make this feel much more cinematic the Star Wars comics often had become because of how far astray, or not astray, a field, I guess. Astray is bad. A field is okay. A field is neutral. Uh, how far a field it had gotten from the films themselves in the span of those decades of the Legends continuity. So, again, it's, it's going to be something you're going to enjoy. I'm not sure if a Legends fan who's still heavily clinging to it and unwilling to accept the idea of this alternate continuity existing is going to be able to read it without grumbling but i think for anybody else it's going to be an enjoyable experience it's going to be something worth picking up particularly if you're picking up vader alongside it and reading them uh, as they tend to cross over with each other as mark was suggesting here so it seems like we're both fairly positive on it but with the caveat of making sure that you are being intellectually honest about what this is an early part of a new continuity Analyze their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. And so we begin 
we get this great moment where you open up the comic and the first thing you get is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away as its own page. You turn it again, it's the Star Wars logo, right? You know, you can almost hear the music swelling. And we get the opening, Book One, Skywalker Strikes. It is a period of renewed hope for the Rebellion. The evil galactic empire's greatest weapon, the Death Star, has been destroyed by the young rebel pilot Luke Skywalker. With the Imperial forces in disarray, the rebels look to press their advantage by unleashing a daring offensive throughout the far reaches of space, hoping to defeat the Empire once and for all, and at last restore freedom to the galaxy. So, a nice crawl that is reminiscent in some of its wordings to what we get in the actual classic trilogy crawls. I, I think that's so brilliant, and yet at the same time, I'm kind of saddened by this, because... You know, this is the one aspect about the single the single issues that was always so great was you would get those inside covers that would give you the quick little rundown and stuff. And Marvel has done a really cool job of capturing that feel. Like you said, every single issue has that. Now, when I get the trade, that's going to be gone. I'm only going to get it once. And that's kind of like, a you know, a trade off, man. I'm still swallowing this this aspect of having to sit back and wait for so long to get it. I don't think we're going to see the trade paperback for this until almost, what, September, October? It's like, ah, waiting for this is murder. I know it did get delayed, but as far as those crawls, remember, they did the same thing with Dark Empire and with Tales of the Jedi. Every mm-hmm. issue had a crawl, but then when you finally got the trade paperback, it tended to have a crawl that was slightly altered from usually the first issue's crawl, and that was it. So there is it's there is that aspect where if you're going to get these as singles, you get that crawl each time. But of course, if you're reading them straight through, you don't really need the recap so much. If you're going by Lucas's philosophy that the idea is it's, in media res, it's the middle of the story. Here's your recap now. Go! So we've got this, this opening with a ship coming overhead, which is very cool, very Star Wars-y. Uh, it is uh, essentially a ship from the huts, or so we believe, coming down to Moon 1, which is this Imperial factory moon. And upon landing, it turns out that the people inside are the rebel heroes. Han Solo is posing as a courier, or a, a representative there, from Jabba the Hutt, uh, having already taken them out previously, the real ones taken out previously. And he's there flanked by a couple of Jabba's guards, who of course are dressed like Lando Calrissian slash Tam Teal Screech from Return of the Jedi, right, with the cool armor and all. And we see Han briefly interact with the man in charge, Overseer Agadine of Simon One. And we have Chewbacca offering essentially sniper support with his bowcaster, which is a cool role for him to be in at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. Leia undercover inside one of the guard uniforms. And they're taken inside, looking around, and Han is kind of doing this heavy-handed, you know, you're just going to do whatever the Huts want you to do type of, of, uh, uh, of pressure negotiation. Until finally it's time for them to spring their trap, to turn on the Imperials, revealing that they are actually rebels because their plan is to actually destroy this base. And we get some great action chase sequences as this small group of rebels, Han, Luke, Leia, and R2-D2 inside the base, Chewbacca as sniper cover outside, and C-3PO back with the Millennium Falcon sort of hiding in a junk pile, basically, to try to uh, keep from being spotted as they make their way through this base to try to set it up to explode, to try to basically get to the power core to set it up to explode and whatnot. Luke, in the meantime, though, winds up separating out from the group and discovers, uh uh-oh, this supposedly fully automated factory system? Yeah, not so much. 
there's a ton of various species being held as slaves. In comes a slave master with a uh, essentially an electro whip, kind of like what we saw with the the slavers back in the Clone Wars cartoon series. Luke busts out his lightsaber, cuts the guy's hand off, frees the slaves, tells him follow me in a nice iconic moment, and we move back to Han and Leia. Uh, they get a little bit of time for some banter, right? Um, some questions about you know why he's doing it, right? Like why is it that Han is sticking around and helping the rebellion at this point when he doesn't have to. He's not one of the rebels, at least not technically. You know, what is it that he really wants? But we don't get a chance to actually explore it because as that conversation is just getting rolling, in comes Luke with all the slaves that he's freed. They need to figure out a way to get all of them out of there before they destroy the base. They are interrupted, again, by the arrival of a shuttle bearing Darth Vader with his forces to protect and take back the base. This gives us... One of our more interesting moments, when Chewie is yelling down through the, com the communicator that Vader is there, and Han answers, Vader? And Luke says, did you say Vader? Chewie, says Han, stand down. Do not fire. You take a shot at Darth Vader and the whole factory will be on alert. And Leia responds, grabbing the communicator, basically, grabbing his wrist where the communicator is. Are you crazy? Chewbacca, if you have a shot at Vader, I order you to take it. Forget about us. Killing him is more important. Do you hear me, Chewie? Take the shot. Now. And I find it interesting. Well, I guess, tell you what, we'll, we'll get into that in just a moment. Let me finish the summary so we can focus on the issue as a whole here. I was, I was, I was so excited about to get ahead I, of myself. I know. I know. And you um, going, I'm like, so, thank God, it's getting there. So Chewie starts firing. Uh, Vader is able to block the shots both with his lightsaber and by grabbing stormtroopers in the force and holding them in the 16. path of the shots, which is pretty rough, and then brings down the structure that Chewbacca was standing on, and his fate is supposedly unknown as of the end of the issue, but of course, you know, obviously he's going to survive. And Vader senses that the rebel pilot who destroyed the Death Star is there, right? He sensed him in the Force during the Battle of Yavin. Now he senses him again. He doesn't want this rebel to escape, but he doesn't know who it is. He just knows he's there somewhere. The base goes on alert, they need C-3PO to get the Falcon Airborne to go in there and try to save them. Only a bunch of scavengers at the junk uh, area that they landed in are starting to take the ship apart. And somehow C-3PO is supposed to have to stop them. Uh, Han, Leia, and the slaves manage to make their way out. I guess with R2-D2. Manage to make their way to a bay that has AT-AT walkers in it, which they're going to use to try to escape. But Luke, drawn by the Force, has separated out from the group again. And he's being drawn towards Vader, and we get this moment where Ben speaks to him in his mind. Luke, this is how you know it has to be after Heir to the Jedi, because in Heir to the Jedi, he hadn't spoken to the spirit of Obi-Wan since the Battle of Yavin. Luke, Ben? Ben, is that you? Ben, he's here. Darth Vader, the man who killed my father, who killed you. I have to face him. I have to end this. Luke, listen to me carefully. Run! And we get this final image of Luke having drawn his lightsaber in the hallway and coming from the other end of the hallway is Vader also with his lightsaber ignited. So their first encounter is actually in the first issue of this new Marvel series. It's a pretty cool way to end that first issue. Yeah, that first issue came out swinging. Uh, you know, the one other thing that I didn't mention in the spoiler free part, and you've said it 
like three different times here was the dialogue. Uh, the dialogue was hitting on all cylinders. Uh, I loved what it did for the characters. The Leia scene was just incredible, which is like, you take that shot now. I don't care if you have to sacrifice us. This, you know, Vader's more important than all of us. Uh, seeing that side of her, I love that side of her. That's always the side of her that, you know, the firebrand uh, and, and watching her just take charge like that. You do it now. You know, that was a great moment. And when Han even showed up and he's talking about, you know, his exalted, whatever, the blah, 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 the hut, but you could just call me Han. Um, you know, there's these great moments, but also the way the scenes play out, like there are, there are times where it feels very much like when they're on Bespin and uh, Luke and them are almost all together when Leia's like, it's a trap kind of thing. And then Luke goes off. And I like the fact that Luke frees a bunch of slaves. Like that was something that Anakin was supposed to have done. You know, he was dreaming about coming back and doing that. Maybe he was dreaming about a son doing those types of things this whole time. Uh, but I, I like that. There are these moments that Luke's able to be a hero. He's still unsure about himself in a lot of ways. But I think one of the biggest things for me that I'm most excited about in the new canon is that Ben's back? Uh, you know, by the time we got to heir to the Empire and stuff, Ben decided, you know, this is gonna be the last time I'm gonna talk to you, Luke. I gotta go on. I gotta, I gotta move beyond this. And he disappears, and we never hear from Yoda. I would love to see in the new canon Ben take a more formal act of training Luke in spirit form, and maybe eventually later we see Yoda's uh, Force Ghost show up to Luke as well and offer some wisdom and guidance and stuff. These are angles that in the EU I was always hoping that eventually they would change their mind and you know there'd be something that was so bad that Yoda or Ben had came to Luke and was like, look, we need you to go over here and check something out or whatever it was. Just having those characters back again and not just be completely gone. Uh, you know, that was one of the really cool things about the mystical side of the force was that even though they were gone, they were still there. They were one with the force. And then all of a sudden they wrote them out. So having been back was just a really cool aspect for me. And and I think, like, you know, I always complain about going back with Luke, but this was always the part of Luke that I enjoyed the most was while he was searching for the answers and actually getting them. I hated it when he was searching and just never got any answers. You know, it was just a constant trail of you know getting the breadcrumbs and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking and you know you'd go to these planets where you thought it was his mom and no it wasn't his mom that's the kind of stuff i hope we don't get like let him actually get some answers let every story have a purpose so far uh and so far it seems to be the case so let's you know let's hope marvel keeps up that momentum yeah the writers know the truth now thanks to the prequels already existing Let's not have a bunch of red herrings. Granted, back in the day, that's all they could do, right? Because they didn't know what Lucas would do with the prequels. The prequel era was completely off-limits for a very long time for storytellers in that era. But then they came out, and then they had to find some way to shoehorn those facts. And that's why, you know, you don't get certain revelations about their parentage until, what, Dark Nest? The one really memorable good thing about Dark Nest. Um, I find this issue, it's, it's interesting because I think it epitomizes what I'm thinking about this series. So much of it felt like, okay, Han's there, they're posing as as working for Jabba, they're trying to blow up an Imperial factory. Okay. Leia and Han talking about why does he want to stick around. Uh, okay. Been there, done that, seen all this stuff before. But then we've got our moment of Leia advocating assassination of Vader that had me go, uh? And that ending of putting Luke and Vader together so, so early after the events of A New Hope. Those, to me, were sort of those cool moments, but again, the framework around it isn't really drawing me in at this point. The framework around it is just kind of meh to me. It's just there. It's good, solid, regular old Star Wars, but nothing spectacular. Of those two moments, though, I love the fact 
that, yes, we've got Ben's voice coming back because, like you said, he's sort of been written out. I always found it weird that the way that the Legends continuity worked, it was, if you strike me down, I should become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. And then he never really came to any kind of fruition. Not really. He wasn't really the one who was training Luke. It was Yoda training Luke. So, if you strike me down, I must become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. And by that, I mean being able to, every once in a while, talk in Luke's ear as a ghost. And eventually being able to show up as a ghost that he can actually see. Mainly so that I can apologize for giving him a line of BS about his daddy. How is that becoming more powerful than you can possibly imagine? I mean, spiritually, I guess the idea is supposed to be he's transcended death. The Sith would not be able to do that, and that's what makes him more powerful. And that's a good spiritual theme, but how does that realistically fit with the idea of him becoming more powerful? It wasn't something that was really played very well within the Legends continuity, because they didn't quite know what Lucas meant by that uh, in the intervening years. As for Leia and the whole assassination thing... That kind of got me, especially on the reread, because I'm sitting back and thinking about Dark Disciple. By the time folks are listening to this episode, Dark Disciple is out. And the gist of Dark Disciple is the Jedi deciding it's time to assassinate Dooku and putting a plot in place to do that. And there's a lot of moral arguments in that book, and we've seen them in other Star Wars stories, about whether or not assassination is a viable tool of warfare, or if that somehow is something of the dark side, that the good guys should never resort to doing. Kill them in battle, yes, but assassinate them, no. And this has that line of, well, he's a sniper, Vader doesn't, they're not engaged in combat yet. Is that an assassination or is that a battle? And if it's an assassination, it's an interesting twist on this morality that, for what we're getting in the prequel stuff now, seems to be suggesting assassination bad. Assassination dark side. Assassination means you can't be the hero. Or at least you shouldn't be the hero. But here, it's, you better freaking do it, because the only rational thing you should do, the only honorable, true thing you should do to serve this cause is to assassinate when that opportunity arose. Um, it makes perfect sense that Leia, as the leader of the rebellion, would think of that big-picture objective other than their own safety and say, take him out. But it's an interesting juxtaposition with what we're seeing in other Star Wars stories in this in this new canon. Well, it almost makes you wonder if what we see in Lords of the Sith might have to, a hand in playing this. You know, what if Cham's faction eventually goes on to be the core group that we end up seeing take over in this regard? You know, what if Cham's group, in a way, has a hand in Mon Mothma's group? Uh, you know, what if Mon Mothma's group is Cham's group? And so they know about how powerful Vader is, you know, the, the threat that he is to not just them, but to their cause and what it stands to get rid of him. You know, if you knock him out of the way, it's that old, you know, cut the head off the snake aspect. Although, granted, in their case, they still have to take out Palpatine, but Vader is definitely the enforcer. So I like that aspect. Um, you know, there, there's just a lot to this that, that really works in so many levels. I love when Vader grabs the two stormtroopers and lifts them up to take the shots from Chewie because Chewie is, I mean, Chewie ain't backing off. I mean, you think about a sniper rifle, he must have a fully automatic sniper rifle. It is just riddling the ground. I mean, when those, when those two troopers drop to the ground, there's easily 20 holes in them. <laughs> I really thought that was a great moment. And then of course, you know, when Vader actually locks on to Chewie up there in the top and he reaches out, I was almost wondering if he was going to force choke the Wookiee at first, but I like the fact that he actually just chooses to bring down the building. Uh, that was a nice little twist as well. 
That brings us into issue number two. No big Star Wars or a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, but we do get a cool opening crawl once again. We do have confirmation here that the story is Skywalker Strikes and that they're not going to be changing the individual story part names. It's book one, part two, Skywalker Strikes. So far, I believe the only one of the new Marvel series that actually has a different name for each issue has been Kane and the Last Padawan. Otherwise, they've all been a name for an arc, and that's it. We pick up where we left off Luke encountering Vader there in the hallway with some just outstanding dialogue that, that Aaron really just kind of hit it out of the park. And I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you who the artist or the writer of this was to save my life previously. I mean, just, I had never seen their work before, I don't think. So Vader begins... You hold that weapon like an untrained child. You have no right to it. You, boy, are no Jedi. Who are you? You killed my father. One of the best lines from Vader in a long time. I've killed very many fathers. You'll have to be more specific. Damn! <laughs> <laughs> of course, that pisses Luke off. He charges in with his lightsaber, clashes with Vader once, and gets immediately knocked back. This is most pathetic. You are not worth the seconds it would take to finish you. Who sent you here to die like this? I was there on the Death Star. I saw what you did to him. You killed Master Kenobi. And now I'm here to make sure you... And Vader just reaches out with the Force and just plucks the lightsaber right out of Luke's hands. No! So, Obi now bear in mind, remember, this is Anakin's lightsaber kept by Obi-Wan after Mustafar, given to Luke in A New Hope that he is carrying here. Uh, when yeah. Obi-Wan fought, Obi-Wan fought with his own lightsaber. So there is going to be a familiarity to this lightsaber that comes with this series and comes with Darth Vader. But for the moment, he just kind of grabs it, and for a while their fans were like, isn't he recognizing it? We wind up seeing it as things play out. Yeah, there's actually a second moment there that they could have even had Luke say, my father's name was Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. You know, they chose to hold off on that, and I think it worked well. It's kind of mm -hmm. a little teasing of the hook kind you of gotta, thing. for us to bite. Gotta make Vader work for it, right? So, <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi gave you this lightsaber, which makes sense. Even if he recognizes it, if Obi-Wan gave it to him, it doesn't have to necessarily be his son, right? He knows Obi-Wan had the lightsaber off of Mustafar. He could have given it to any Force-sensitive kid. Doesn't have to be related. A shame he did not teach you how to wield it. He never did make for much of a master. How did you? The Force will never be with you, boy. Your master has fallen. What hope have you? If you wish to live, you will tell me all you know of the rebellion, including the nature of this attack. And then you will lead me to the rebel pilot who destroyed the Death Star. Interesting. Vader can sense that the rebel pilot that destroyed the Death Star is there, but cannot tell that it is Luke when Luke is right in front of him. And watch as I strike him down. Speak quickly, or join your father. I'd rather die than yield to you. So be it. And we get this great shot of Vader lifting up both lightsabers, crossing his arms, kind of reminiscent of how he killed Dooku, except in Dooku's case, he was crossing the sabers uh, and putting them down so that they're crossed over Dooku's neck. In this case, he's like crossing them uh, so they're almost like a V going down towards his own stomach. Uh, wait, this lightsaber. I know this weapon. This once belonged to... And, of course, we have to interrupt the scene, right? In comes a smash of the AT-AT, or Adat's foot, as Han and Leia are trying to walk their way out with this walker with the slaves and R2-D2 and all inside and get the heck away from the base before it is destroyed. 
Uh, as for Luke, Luke now doesn't have his lightsaber, but Vader decides to throw the lightsaber with the Force into one of the slaves, which will, in theory, allow him to recover it, except before he can, whoop! Vader yanks it away again out of his hands. Nice little sort of, uh, uh, not bait and switch fool type you. thing there, but yeah, yeah, fool you kind of moment. He's a very dark helmet at that moment. I <laughs> uh, expect it to be a punch in the balls at some point. Well, you know, you mentioned something that didn't dawn on me before until just now. That whole aspect of Vader not recognizing Luke as the pilot, even though he clearly knew the pilot was there through his feelings in the Force, makes me wonder, could this be a natural Force talent that both he and his sister share since Vader, when he's threatening Leia on the Death Star years from now, doesn't or years before this, a year before this, he didn't seem to recognize her then either so maybe when he gets close something happens they shut down or something so luke is basically just trying to escape under fire with his blaster and winds up grabbing a speeder bike and zips off through the cloud of stormtroopers whereas vader is close enough that it looks like they're trying to stop and they're actually attempting to basically use the adat's big old foot to stomp on vader and instead vader catches it while it's over his head and just basically starts crushing the AT-AT, very uh, The Force Unleashed style with what you do to the ATSTs and stuff in that game where you just start crushing it from the outside with the Force. Uh, but they start blasting at him with the huge turrets on, the, we on the, uh, the walker. The walker manages to escape outside the building. C-3PO is not there yet to give help because he's gone outside to try to get rid of the scavengers just like they ordered him to and is in the process of being taken apart. Probably most interesting visually as we get towards the end of this issue, is that as Vader is collapsed, or collapsing, uh, within the building, as the building is sort of collapsing around him, as the AT-AT is blasting away, he apparently gets his helmet knocked off, and he loses Luke's lightsaber. Luke zips by, grabs the lightsaber while he's on the speeder bike, and takes off with it. So it's been recovered. Yeah, he had a chance to recover it and didn't work. Now he's actually recovered it. But when Vader comes out of the rubble, his helmet is off. And as soon as a stormtrooper sees him with it, right, Lord Vader, we have <laughs> mother of moons. I, I'm sorry, my lord. I didn't realize. Snaps his head around like freaking exorcist. Cause snap, he is dead. Vader takes his helmet back and starts marching his way out with his troops. Uh, he gets a contact from Overseer Agadine. Sir, I'm afraid we are unable to halt the power force meltdown. Request permission to evacuate the facility. Permission denied, Overseer. If this factory explodes, you had best explode with it. Yes, my lord. Further failure will be dealt with harshly. The rebel invaders must die. Accept the boy. Leave him to me. And issue number two ends as Vader stalks out and a whole bunch of stormtroopers launch out behind him on speeder bikes. You know, one of the angles I really liked about how this one played out Stop was... saying angles, dang it! That's <laughs> racist or sexist or something, apparently. <laughs> That's anti-us! <laughs> one of the things I really enjoyed about what this issue did for Luke, and it's it's ironic for me because they're the angles of Luke that I really hated, but I think why I hated him in Legends was because of how long they played out, so I'm like really hoping like Luke eventually morphs over it, but it's like he tried being a Jedi against Vader. 
and Vader showed him he doesn't have what it takes. And so he starts to do that withdrawing aspect. You know, he's got the slaves. They're being peppered with blasters. And, I mean, peppered. There's a lot of blaster bolts run, running around. And he's got about two of the slaves pinned down behind him. And a third one's coming. He's like, stay down. We'll figure a way out of this. And then the third guy gets shot as he's coming close. Won't we? And he's leaning back. And he lifts his head back. And he looks up. And he's like, this is my fault, Ben. I'm not my father. I'm not a Jedi. I'm just... Some stupid farm boy from Tatooine. I don't belong here. I don't. And he looks over. Yeah, I'm a farm boy, all right. And he sees the row of the speeder bikes. A farm boy who can bullseye womp rats. And then he gets on that speeder bike, and you see the confidence come back. You know, I mean, it's like, while he's doing his fighting as a Jedi, he knows he's not trained. And so there's that that disbelief that, oh, you asked the impossible. You know, he's not sure of himself. But he knows what he can do on a vehicle. He knows he's got piloting skills. And once he gets on that, it's like, then you see the Luke, you know, the, the, the soldier savant as Star Wars Volume 2 w- was trying to put him out there as. But this actually makes sense because he is that way on the vehicle. You know, when he was off the vehicle, when he's holding just the lightsaber, he doesn't have that confidence. He hasn't experienced or, or had enough training or enough life experience to, you know, fill that confidence up as he has, you know, bullseye and womp rats in the t16 back on tatooine so i really liked that how it played out in there and it was odd for me because that's typically a part of luke's character that i could not stand but i love the way that they played it out in this one yeah whining questioning luke was something that just it didn't work yeah you're right because of the duration of it they they didn't quite know where to go especially in the early Marvel stuff, they didn't quite know where to go with Luke, so his characterization was all over the place. And then other writers kind of tried to mesh things into that same era, and you get this really inconsistent Luke, where sometimes, yeah, it seems like he's very uh, defeatist and weak and inexperienced, and yet in the very next story, he'd be experienced all of a sudden, just because of the way that they had been written between many, many years. Whereas in this case, I hope that what we're getting is something kind of like what we got with heir to the Jedi, a progression of Luke's emotions, a progression of his confidence, a progression of his knowledge and his skills that makes logical sense. There needs to be a consistent arc for the character. You don't want him to stay too inexperienced for too long, but I think consistency is what we're really looking for more than anything else at this point. We're so used to the inconsistent characterizations of these characters in the post-A New Hope era in the Legends continuity, because of the nature of decades of trying to put stories into the same, like, very small span of time, right? Because they don't have time to go to the bathroom, or refresher, or whatever you want to call it. And now, they have a chance to get it done right if they're not just coordinating on the big story points, if they're coordinating on the character development also. Just like what we were talking about with Lords of the Sith about Darth Vader. If they really do carry out Vader's character development in a very methodical way... They're going to really nail it with Vader. Same thing here with Luke. It makes sense for him to be inexperienced at this point. But let's see a true arc for his development between this and Empire Strikes Back. The other character, too, that, that I really wanted to focus on before we move out of this one was was 3PO himself. I like the fact that, you know, Han's yelling at him. He's like, take the gun, go out there, you get them off there. And as soon as 3PO starts walking down, he drops the gun immediately. I'm just like, oh, no. Like, could this get any worse for him? You know, they're already tearing the ship apart. Now, now they're tearing 3PO apart. So, of course, you know, Chewie gets there and... Uh, you know, it's the classic Return of the Jedi moment. You're like, Chewie's just trying to put everything back together and he just doesn't have enough time apart. Part of me says, why didn't you bring some other rebels with you? You know, 
I know the idea is to reintroduce the classic core group of characters, right? The big three plus Chewie and the droids, but damn. How's about you have at least one other rebel with you to be on the ship instead of expecting C-3PO to be your rescue driver, your getaway man? Yeah. That just never sounds like it would be a good idea. And so far, each of these issues have done a really good job with ending with a great solid page illustration uh you Mm -hmm. know the last one we had vader and luke with the run this one we've got vader coming out of the wall with with what looks to be like uh five or six speeder bikes with stormtroopers on them except the boy leave him to me but the way that the dust and stuff's coming off of that that would make a glorious cover in its own right man unfortunately those big splash page or whatever you want to call them uh full page images to end the story will end with issue three which is our last issue for this episode speaking of issue three here we go. Uh, again, we get our opening crawl, though it seems like this time the crawl is harder to read with the background of stars. I don't know if it's because the, the crawl has smaller text or what. It just really seems like they kind of overdid the star background in that case. Luke is zipping along, blasting stormtroopers on the speeder bike, while the Imperials are still trying to bring down the walker that contains Leia, Han, uh, and the others. And as for C-3PO, he is now being carted off in pieces... Basically, Empire Strikes Back style on the back of one of the uh, uh, the scavengers, only for Chewie, who is alive and didn't show up in the previous issue, to show up and save the day, blasting his way through the scavengers, saving C-3PO so he can get to the freaking Falcon. He needs to do it soon because the at-at bearing the heroes, except for Luke, walks in on basically a giant regiment of tanks, ATSTs, basically the bulk of many of the weapons that this factory has to offer now aimed just at their one vehicle, pretty much. Luke is able to take out one speeder bike of an Imperial that's near him that uh, runs into one of the legs of the walker, which, you know, it it seems to me almost like it's, it's a moment that's supposed to be funny because it's, hurry up, kid, they just tried to blow up one of our legs. And you've got this shot earlier where there's an explosion into one of the feet of the walker where Luke zips aside and one of the speeder bikes crashes into it, right? Mm -hmm. And then you've got him battling with the other stormtrooper where he cuts the back off of his speeder and there's another explosion as that speeder bike crashes into the leg. So it almost sounds like what's happening, it's supposed to be Han saying, they just tried to blow up one of our legs and Luke's like, oh crap, that was me. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm hurrying, I'm on the way. But no, it doesn't I, I, come I, I, off like that. I think I, I, it's supposed to be funny, but it doesn't feel funny coming off the page because I don't think it's as clear as they want it to be. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I had the same thing. I was like, wait, isn't that their speeder? So, so when he was saying that, I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, wait, Luke's causing all this. This is classic. Yeah, Luke's causing some destruction. Uh, so the base is supposed to be melting down. Only it doesn't. There's supposed to be a big explosion from the reactor doesn't happen when they expect it, and Vader gets word from Overseer Agadine that they have managed to halt the reactor's meltdown. Excellent, as far as Vader is concerned, and as Luke is taking on some of the ATSTs and whatnot, Vader starts hacking away with his lightsaber at one of the legs of the hero's AT-AT, to the point where it's going to come crashing down. We have this moment of Han, Leia, as if they're about to say something profound and loving to each other, and it comes crashing down. The walker has fallen. Move in for the kill. And as Luke comes in with his lightsaber on the speeder bike, slashing through some of the, the Imperials, you get these great 
kind of battle moments here, uh, very Saving Private Ryan-esque almost, where you've got Leia carrying or helping a wounded Han and R2 and some of the, the slaves get out of the wreckage while she's firing her blaster at the Imperials seemingly futilely, um, and they're trying to make their way to safety. I mean, it's, it's this, this great sort of holy crap, you know, dark, greedy war moment. And then all of a sudden, it turns out apparently Vader and his troopers were further away than it looked when it went down. And it's only a handful of troopers that are coming up on them that Luke's able to blast. Because immediately, Luke is on his speed. And she's like, Luke, come on. I can't, Leia. I can't let this be all for nothing. And he plans to go after Vader. Don't wait for me. And zips off on his own. And Vader's back with his troops by their vehicles, um, telling them to basically, you know, to go after the others, et cetera, et cetera, and giving orders to his troops, as opposed to being right there where our heroes were to take them on face to face. That's that, that was a little bit jarring, but he decides to take one of the little um, blast boats or whatever it is that they've got here and chase after Luke. And Luke flies. He's not actually going after Vader. He's assigned to complete the mission. He flies in to the reactor, is blasting away at the reactor where Agadeen is, tearing through it, and he's chased by Vader, who's blasting away at him. Luke zips out, barely surviving. Vader crashes as he's trying to go out of the building because the, the vehicle's just too freaking big to get out of the building. And everything's still all torn up. Anyway, because they, you know, they may have stopped the meltdown, but Luke just blasted it, and Vader just blasted it, trying to run in. So the, the factory is basically a complete lost cause. But of course, as in Rebels, Vader comes walking out of the fire, walking out of the wreckage, which is both awesome and hopefully something they're not going to overdo. By the time he gets out, the Millennium Falcon is already taking off into space. They come up upon some star destroyers. Leia, however, makes the jump to light speed, and whoosh, they are out of there. We get some great moments with Vader that I actually expected to be the end of the issue. Lord Vader, this is Captain Kron of the Star Destroyer Adjudicator. Sorry, we're going to inform you that the Rebel ship has eluded the blockade. It appears that they... Ah, 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 and he is force-choked on the Star Destroyer by Vader, who is only communicating with him through audio. That's pretty badass for Vader to be able to reach out with the Force and kill this guy not even having the presumed line of sight type thing that you get from having the the holographic representation of someone or seeing them on a view screen to no reach out and choke someone. Yeah, there's no hand gesture or anything. He just all internal. Like, damn, I mean, unless this guy is just eating some really spicy nachos or something, then holy <laughs> crap, that was some serious power. Uh, but Vader starts monologuing to himself. The boy. The boy is your last great hope, isn't he, Obi-Wan? Actually, he's a new hope. <clears throat> he is what you died to protect. He may be strong in the Force, but he is untrained. And who is there left to train him now? No one but me. Of course, he doesn't know about Yoda. When I find him, and I will find him, he will be my weapon, not yours. The dark side always wins, Obi-Wan. You should know that by now. Great moment for Vader. And I expected that to be the dun-dun-dun into the issue. Done. End of the issue. Heck, maybe even end of the arc. Mm -hmm. Instead, we pick up with them in space where Luke is talking to Leia about how you know, she, she's just amazing. You know, what you did was crazy. It was insubordinate. A lot of people should thank you, including me. I can't believe you did it again, just like the Battle of Yavin with the Death Star. You know, there's something to you. You're just blah, blah, blah. Talking about how great he is and how great a Jedi he's going to be. 
And she's like, no. He's like, I should be dead. We should all be dead. I'm no Jedi. And with Ben dead, I never will be. And just really ending on that down note, but then you add that tantalizing little but moment where we briefly go to Tatooine, where there's a couple of guys going out to dump Greedo's body. Nice continuity at the New Hope, but damn, how long was that body sitting around since Heir to the Jedi and all that's already happened? Woo-hoo! He's probably getting pretty rank. And as they're going out to dump the body, um, they're passing by Obi-Wan's hut. And, you know, uh, you know, it's just some crazy wizard Kenobi, I think he's called. You know, he keeps to himself, just keeping an eye out for sand people. You know, they're not going to go into Kenobi's hut because they don't realize he's dead. They just know to stay clear of the place. And we get this quick zoom in through several panels into the hut. And there is a container sitting there. And on the container, written in Arabish, is the phrase, For Luke. Bum, bum, bum. End of issue three. <laughs> you know, one of the things that we kind of skipped over that I think is a testament to the Wookiee himself, when all the stuff's going down and and Han's like, Chewie, are you in there yet? And she's like, oh, what do you mean another day and a half? We'll be dead in five minutes. And then on top of it, three people like, oh dear, I'm afraid they'll all be doomed, Captain Antilles. Like, he keeps going on about Captain Antilles because these guys, when they tore him apart, have screwed with something on the inside of him. So he's now glitching. But the fact that, that Chewie takes a day and a half's worth of repairs and get it going with, with possibly 30 minutes worth of work, like, hats off to the Wookiee mechanic on that one. Uh, but the other thing, too, you know, you did mention it with Vader, you know, saying move in for the kill. And then all of a sudden they're they're back. It was like, OK, you just gave the order to move in. You're literally standing right next to it. You just used your lightsaber on the leg. And now you're wait. Yeah, that was a really odd part. But beyond that, it was when Vader was talking about the to Ben and he said, you know, there's no one else left to train him but me. It was that no one left to train him part. You know, you said, well, well he doesn't know about Yoda, but he does know about Kanan, Ezra and Ahsoka. So I, I, there's a part of me that's like, you know, now that we know that these characters exist and they know that, that, you know, the writers that are writing this show know those characters exist, you know, to me, it's like they need to be careful with what they're saying because that to me almost guarantees that those characters are dead at this point. I mean, it makes no sense for Vader to be thinking that unless he knows that there's no way they're going to be capable of training Luke as well. That's true. That is very true. And we've only got a four-year window between what we got with the recent Siege of Lothal, presumably, going up into what we got with A New Hope leading into this. I mean, this is very shortly after A New Hope in this case. So, yeah, it's it's going to be tricky. I mean, But at the same time, of course, that's something that, you know, in a sense, we got out of the classic trilogy, too. So even that seems to sort of sign their death wards, right? You know, when I'm gone, the last of the Jedi will you be? Ha <laughs> ha! Screw you, Kanan and Ezra! You be dead! Or something. And Ahsoka. Unless you don't count Ahsoka and she's something other than a Jedi. In which case, maybe that's what Kanan and Ezra become. They become the wanderers with force abilities, but don't call us Jedi kind of stuff. No, hopefully I'm the not. brother and he's the brother. <laughs> something. Just, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But yeah, I, I do not hold out many hopes for Kanan and Ezra surviving, given lines like that in these issues and lines like that in a... Uh, in the original trilogy here. But I would say, overall, a fairly strong start to this arc. When they first landed on Simon 1 and got involved in the action there, I was really kind of concerned, thinking that was going to be what the entire first arc was going to be. 
And I didn't really feel like watching this kind of... It, it was an interesting battle, but at the same time, it kind of felt like, well, we know they're all going to survive this, so it's kind of a dull encounter thing. Um, it's the highlight moments that make it stand out, not the battle itself. So I'm glad that only three issues were on Simon 1. And it's interesting that they managed to fit in so many beats so quickly. I want to see where this leads in terms of now that Vader knows Luke is out there and is Force-sensitive, okay, is he going to be able to go after Luke? What's his next step in trying to figure out what to do in finding Luke, which it turns out we find in the first issue of the Darth Vader series? Uh, figuring out where Luke goes now, now that he has encountered Vader, realize how unprepared he is, how does he learn more, and what does he do until he figures out what he needs to learn? There's, there's great storytelling potential here, in where it goes. I still think those first three issues, there's a lot of okay Star Wars stuff jammed in with some great moments for Star Wars stuff that makes it a fun ride, but one that ultimately, I don't think anybody's going to look back and say, ooh, that Simon 1 mission, that was major. And maybe even not even remember where they went. They'll just remember the Luke Vader encounter. You know what I mean? Well, I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of like how Dark Empire was. I mean, when I think about, you know, overall what it did for the characters, it was a great story. But when I think about the story itself, it was like, yeah, it was okay. Uh, but, you know, overall, we look back on it with with great fondness. I think this series stands to be one of those for Marvel. I, I think it looks like a, a standpoint of they did it right. They hit almost every single trope they needed to when they needed to hit it right out the gate. They brought in all the right artists, all the right dialogue, everything felt very Star Wars. I like how the first three issues of this feel like it's all, its own contained story and the little you know, epilogue kind of thing with the whole for Luke and stuff kind of kicks off the next three and, and the direction of that, and yet it's still all tied together into the overall you know, Vader trying to figure out who is this pilot. I mean, it started out with the Rebel mission, but once Vader got involved, it did kind of, in a sense, become more Vader's story, but we're seeing it from the Rebels' point of view. And I like how that's how the Vader story ties in with this, especially, because there's a lot of points of views that we're getting. And when you switch from the one comic to the other, you get that insight from that point of view. And so that really works out well. And the plan there to do that was brilliant. And I think that that will make this series, in the long run, stand up there with series like heir to the empire and dark empire uh, you know they're because i think of both of those series and i'm like you know they were they were okay uh you know they seem like they were the best at the time and, and they stand up pretty well but i don't know i don't think that they have or were missing anything more or less than this was missing right now and i think you know like you said at the beginning of this if, if we as legend fans can disengage the fact that this is not the legends universe and be okay with that and accept what's coming, accepting it as its own universe, not supposed to be Legends. I thought it was a very well done story and a great half of the first arc so far. So what you're saying is that by me being kind of ant on some aspects of this, even though it has these great moments and, and perhaps has more great moments than the equivalent amount of issues of, say, Dark Empire or something like that, which I would actually agree with. It probably does have more standout moments than the first three issues of Dark Empire did. You're saying I'm being universist? Timelineist? Legendist? universist? You're just being a dick. <laughs> Sagaist? Canonist? Ah. Uh, but that just brings us back to politics, and before we do that, we need to get the hell out of here. Yes. I mean, at the end of the day, you're just being a fan like us all, and fan is short for fanatics, and, you know, if you love something as much as we do, let's just be fanatical about it. 
Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you all once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a nice review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So you guys, if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free book for their audible.com trial to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars universe or the Legends one or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this is Ben, Mark, and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. And I'm going to get blasted for this episode's opening with people assuming my views. Probably people assuming my views to be one way and the other way both bashing at the same time. I don't think I actually revealed my actual views, did I? Mm, time will tell. What are the odds of that? Well, it's the internet, so I'm pretty sure there's going to be some blame. <laughs> Flame on! Keep in mind. Uh, and underneath. Thank you. <laughs> so Vader begins with, "You hold the weapon like an." And I fucked it up already. Just making sure he sees it. Does he not? See? No, he doesn't see. He doesn't. Never mind. I can't say that. So cut the thing about me talking about him pulling the lightsaber to him because he doesn't do it. I was looking at the page wrong. <laughs> <laughs>